0: Welcome to Five Books for Catholics, where an expert selects and explains five outstanding books in some aspect of Catholic life, doctrine or culture. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, 1756-1791, to 1791, ranks with Johann Sebastian Bach and Beethoven as one of the greatest Western composers. His father, Leopold, was a musician in the courts of the Prince Archbishop of Salzburg, And a musical pedagogue. When Leopold began to give clavier lessons to his seven-year-old daughter Nanel, her younger brother listened attentively, started playing it himself at the age of four, and was composing his first pieces at the age of five. Between 1762 and 1773, Leopold brought the two child prodigies on tours around the main European cities and courts, from Rome to London, hoping to promote his son's future career. Wolfgang first worked as a court composer for the Prince Archbishop of Salzburg, but, desirous of a better salary and opportunities to compose operas, he resigned in 1773. After several years of visiting different cities in search of a suitable position, he settled in Vienna, where he spent his fi- the final decade of his life. At Vienna he composed most of his greatest compositions – Moreover, his genius was recognised by both established composers such as Haydn and -and up-and-coming ones such as Beethoven. Despite his premature death at the age of 35, he left a huge body of work. His masterpieces include concerti, operas, chamber music, serenades and symphonies. They also include works of sacred music such as the Coronation Mass, the C Minor Mass, the Motet. Ave Verum Corpus, and the requiem that he was composing at the time of his death. In this interview, Simon P. Keefe recommends some books that can help us learn about Mozart and appreciate his music more deeply. Simon P. Keefe is James Roster Royal Chair of Music at the University of Sheffield, a live member of the Academy for Mozart Research at the International Music Foundation in Salzburg, and President-elect of the Royal Musical Association. He is the author of five monographs in Mozart, including Mozart's Requiem, Reception, Work, Completion, published by Cambridge University Press in 2012. This book won the 2013 Marjorie Weston Emerson Award from the Mozart Society of America. Professor Keefe is the editor of a further seven volumes for Cambridge University Press, including Mozart Studies, Mozart Studies Two, and Mozart in Context. Professor Keith, welcome. Thank you. Um, what would you add, or briefly, what was missing from the opening summary of Mozart's life? Do you mean from your opening summary? Yes.
1: Um, I mean you you've I suppose you've given a um, uh, a very quick kind of synopsis of of Um, of of Mozart's life, um, and uh, perfectly fine as it stands. Um, I mean, one could emphasize a lot more the travels that he um, that he did as a child. It's often um, estimated that around about a third of his life, up to the point at which he moved to Vienna in 1781, was spent on the road, so to speak. Um, So either the grand tour of 1763 to 1766, or the time in uh, in in France and Germany, 1777 to 1779, um, the Italian trip, 1770 to 1772, so, or early 1773, so a lot, enormous amount of time that he was spent, uh, that he spent traveling. Um, and I think that that's, in many ways, um, one of the core things that one needs to approve, one of the basic things one needs to appreciate, I think, about Mozart, as in how he becomes such a kind of cosmopolitan uh, musician, the fact that he, the fact that it was, he was exactly the right individual um, uh, to have the experiences that he had, that his father, Leopold, organized for him in his youth, uh, in terms of giving him so much access to other, musician, other musicians, other styles, uh, and he was just, he just had that capability of absorbing it, so he becomes such a kind of a cosmopolitan, such a, um, uh, uh, a sort of what's the right words well cosmopolitan is yes a good kind of sort of international kind of mindset um uh well ahead of (laughs) that becoming anything that that was remotely normal um um so yeah so i would tend to think that those travel experiences which are particularly intense before he moves to vienna in 1781 age uh, 25 or so um i think that they're they're particularly um important and i I suppose the other thing that's that i always I, i kind of uh, re- well, wrestle with is a little strong, but I always kind of ponder a little bit is whether it's whether Mozart's kind of youthful, of quite remarkable prodigiousness um, in his youth is more or less remarkable than the than the extraordinary quality of his music uh, in the last 10 years of his life. And and it strikes me that there. And in fact, actually, there's no answer to that. I might marginally favour the the late music because that's what what I know. Uh, best and what I've always um, uh, found most attractive to study, although I've also worked on his earlier music as well, but um, um, I might slightly favour the the, the, the the latter, but it is just quite remarkable how those two things go together, you know, this this incredible prodigy um, who had the experiences that he had um, and then, you know, seeing that right the way through to the 1780s to 1791 and his death and the kind of, uh, um, uh, and, and the extraordinary quality of the music. Um that he that he produced. So so you know, I might tend to think that that's something that's also always worth kind of emphasizing in the Mozart uh,
0: story. And often a question that comes up among Catholics is, how could Mozart be such a committed freemason? Indeed, some of his compositions, such as the magic flute, the Masonic funeral music, or the secular cantata di Sela des Weltals, celebrate Masonic ideas. Pope Clement XII had already condemned Freemasonry in 1738 for its reductive conception of Christianity. So, how serious was Mozart about his Catholic faith? I think you're very serious about both his Catholic faith and his uh, Catholic faith
1: and his um, uh, his his status as a Mason. Um, I think that the 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 kind of yes, it was always a controversial um uh, com- sometimes confrontational relationship between masonry and and catholicism um uh in 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 kind of late 18th century europe but i think that it's fair to say that that there was a kind of sense of 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 coexistence um not easy coexistence sometimes quite complicated coexistence in vienna and the habsburg um lands um in the late 18th century and that's partially i think because you know joseph ii was such a Um, was such an enlightened uh, leader, such an enlightened um, uh, emperor. Um, I mean, he certainly had his faults, he had his difficulties, uh, uh, he had, um, and 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 the end of his life is somewhat sad, not only because he died young, but also because he had to row back from from so many of his kind of enlightened advances in the earlier part of the 1780s on account largely of the, the French Revolution and and uh, and unhappiness about it or an uncertainty and uncertainty and fear among the nobility as to what would actually happen in uh, in Austria. But I think the fact that Joseph II was as he was a very himself a very devout Catholic, of course. Um, uh, and tolerant, uh, not only well tolerant, uh, full stop, really, and that toleration um, extended not only to Jews, to Protestants, um, uh, but also to 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 Masons uh, and Masonry as well. So I think that actually, whereas that is, I agree that that is a, that is a difficult relationship in all kinds of ways, um, it was an acceptable relationship um, in the late 18th century in Austria.
0: But you brought up the figure of Joseph. I mean, he was. Let's say not entirely orthodox, because, for example, he was trying to. He's known sometimes as the, sac, the sacristan emperor, emperor because he was, he was rather overstepping the bounds and dictating all these liturgical norms. Uh, he was basically closed down all the monasteries unless they, such as the Cistercians, unless they dedicate themselves to parish life. So, is there a there was a very rationalist strain that some that goes somewhat against the more supernatural and tradition-oriented aspect of Catholicism. Did Mozart have that same sort of tendency? Difficult to tell. Now, of course,
1: you're absolutely right that Joseph II, um, uh, in terms of kind of orthodox Catholicism, as I'd understand it, at least, um, uh, is, is yes, is again a controversial and, and, and difficult figure. Um, whether Mozart's um, yes, Mozart's views, religious views, are difficult um, to determine, um, and his religious views actually are interesting in relation, particularly to those of his of his father, and it's almost a kind of a generational um, uh, conflict. Um, I think there's a. The, the, it's not that Mozart wasn't devout; he clearly was. Um, I think his fundamentally, I think his. And this is perhaps me speaking more than. Um, uh, 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 more than I'm entitled to in some ways, but this is certainly my sense from le- reading the letters, which we'll come on to, because it's one of my choices, obviously. Um, but I think there's there's less of a, um, a a fundamental critical interest in religion, I think, than there is for his father Leopold. Um, and you you often get this kind of sense, this back and forth. Leopold um, uh, talks about uh, Leopold is 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 a wonderful figure in Mozart's biography, and and in some ways. Uh, wrongly, very, very wrongly, maligned in, in 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 some circles, because the amount that he put into sort of nurturing Mozart, educating and taking him around the uh, around Europe uh, was was truly extraordinary. Um, and Leopold was an intense, a very intense and very intensely serious man, uh, perhaps most especially in regard to religion. Um, and he would, there was a basically a kind of conflict I think between the two. On the one hand, Leopold would say, you know, yes, I accept that that it's God's will that something should happen, but you must do everything you possibly can to um, uh, to, to influence that situation. Vol- uh, Wolfgang, as in, as in Mozart's response, was always, well, if it's God's will, there's not much I can do about it. Um, and there is that kind of sense that, I mean, where, how one reads that and interprets that, I would interpret that as, Fundamentally, um, uh, a um, uh, not a lack of interest in religion from from Mozart, but perhaps a kind of sense that when he makes his statements about, you know, the most important thing next to my father is God, and and it, that, he, that there is a kind of a bit of a sort of formulaic quality um, in in Mozart's language. He's saying what he wants his father uh, to hear. Um, which is not to say that he's not devout, not um, not 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 a a good Catholic in 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 various respects. Um but as I say, I think there's a the, I think for Mozart, as in Mozart's son, not Mozart's father, for Mozart, um I think you know music is his life, music's his world. Um he his father accuses him of not being very practical in the way that he thinks about life and moving through life. Um and that's there is some there is some validity to that for sure. Because Mozart was living in his was living in this sort of kind of musical world it came totally and utterly and completely immersed in it. and I think other thing it was how other things, which is not to say he wasn't influenced by things outside music he certainly was but but music was so much the core of everything he did, everything he thought about he was so immersed in it and he he says that himself, you know, he said to his father, um you know uh, you know I'm completely immersed in music. I think about it all of the time and he does. so everything else is a kind of a in 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 effect a kind of adjunct to that um uh, and i think that that's you know that there's a there's a kind of difference in that so in that kind of religious way of thinking about things i think from from leopold to mozart so where mozart sat so to answer your question Dominic, and um um and it is a good one but it's difficult to 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 answer where mozart sat relative to a, a religious thinker like joseph ii albeit a controversial um one um is difficult to say i mean there's there is one thing that's um Joseph II did, and that Archbishop Colorado, the sort of the equivalent in Salzburg, um, did. I mean, sort of in effect, a kind of vassal state of the, of, of the Habsburg, Salzburg, obviously small and and um but independent. And Colorado, who Mozart famously um detested, Leopold detested him too. He'd been Leopold had been passed over for promotion. Uh he was seen to be Colorado was seen to be haughty and dictatorial and in reality, he had a, a tough budget to to deal with because the previous archbishop had been um, uh, profligate in his spending. Um, so Colorado had had, had had to rein things in. The Mozarts took that personally, Mozart desperate to get away, etc. It's a fascinating story. But what both Colorado in Salzburg and above all Joseph II did in 1780s was very much to rein back the as you're in effect alluding to, the kind of lavishness of, of Catholic services. So there was a there was a kind of a maximum amount that amassed. Uh, should take maximum amount of time can't remember what it was either perhaps half an hour three quarters of an hour something like that and in effect that meant things like music had to take a back seat so Mozart's I mean you may have picked up on this but Mozart's um, composed very little sacred music in the last 10 years of his life um, all of his sacred oh, the, the vast majority 90 90 percent or so of his sacred music comes from before his move to Vienna in 1781 and that's precisely really because um, it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, in, you, you know, you weren't encouraged to write a lot of sacred music in 1780s uh, Vienna, Mozart still remained very interested in it, that's quite clear, there are fragments, there are um, uh, bits he was really working on that didn't then materialise into full works, but each of the sacred works in 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 the viennese the, the final decade has a kind of unusual genesis perhaps we'll get onto that in a bit uh, in a bit more detail later but the c minor mass was basically written uh well we don't know there's quite a, a bit of a mystery attached to 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 um uh, uh, to, to why it was written seems to probably relate to personal circumstances, Mozart's marriage, perhaps Constanza's recovery from an illness, but it was really kind of intended for, par- for, for Salzburg, rather, for, for the so-called bridal visit when Mozart took Constanza back to visit Leopold and um, and uh, Mozart's daughter, Nanel. Um, uh, uh, the Requiem is is, is sort of kind of one-of-a-kind and unfinished anyway, right at the end of his life, and then the Aververum Corpus is a very short, work for corpus christi uh either in baden or or, or in vienna most likely in baden so the, the you know these kind of the the what have become sort of uh, we perceive to be kind of central works of mozart in the last decade of his life they are wonderful works all very different in their very different ways but but are actually in a way not really central to 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 the to mozart's main business in the last uh, uh in the last 10 years of his life so um so yeah Sorry, that's a long way of answering a short question, but I hope, I hope it gives you some useful information. Uh, then. Yes.
0: And so, perhaps approaching the same question from a somewhat different angle, we listen to Mozart because his music is spiritually enriching in the broad sense of the term. Um, the Christian spirituality, the sacred music of Bach and Bruckner, often seems to suffuse their instrumental compositions, at least. That's how I hear it. But Mozart's non sacred music, written at the height of the Enlightenment, strikes me as having a more humanistic than religious orientation. The ethos of his music is closer to, say, that of Shakespeare or Moliere than that of Dante. Perhaps this question sounds silly and pompous, but does Mozart's music convey a certain spirituality or ethos, and to what extent is it Christian?
1: that's a, that's a fascinating question um I'm not sure I'm equipped um to to, to answer it um I'm not religious myself i'm I'm, I'm, I'm an atheist um although I have a great time and um respect and interest um in 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 religion um I think actually so so it's actually it's actually a difficult question it's a very i think it's a very personal uh question um as as you're saying you know by 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 saying what you sense in terms of mozart's um uh values that that appear to come um from it um i would say that there is i mean, I, I would agree that there is a kind of strongly kind of humanistic element to, to mozart's um uh kind of instrumental music um i do hear things i i absolutely hear it that way as well and in fact my first book um was on mozart's basically an outgrowth of my my phd dissertation was on mozart's piano concertos and how in effect there are there are enlightened themes that come through that relative to collaboration um, cooperation and the way that that's mapped out over the course of a um, um, uh, over a concerto both in individual movements and, and, and the whole span of a work um, and I do think of that I do think that is fundamentally a, a kind of a humanistic um, phenomenon um, uh, yes, as I say, I wouldn't necessarily be the right person to talk about yeah. relative to, to, to Bach, for example. Although I, I absolutely, what you're saying is is entirely um, uh, what what religious friends of mine would also say about about Bach's music. And I find it Bach's music is 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 absolutely extraordinary, remarkable um, too. How one hears that and interprets that is a, is is a different um, a different question. But yes, yeah, certainly in regard to Mozart, I would hear that humus, humanistic quality coming through in the instrumental music.
0: I mean, even in the operas, for example, especially the, the ones he, um, co- in which he collaborated with the Italian priest and librettist Lorenzo da Ponte, yeah. there are implicit religious, sometimes explicit, as in Don Giovanni, who faces divine retribution at the end, but perhaps implicit ones in other operas. For example, um, in Così fan tutte is an explanation, exploration of human frailty, and then in Peter Schaeffer's Play Amadeus. Salieri attends the premiere of Le Nozzi di Figaro and is amazed at how an opera buffa can p- concludes with such a sublime chorus and forgiveness. I'm not sure. Yeah. Do you? Have
1: any- yes. I mean, I, I, again, whether one—I I suppose I wouldn't disagree with any of that. Um, whether one sees those as 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 religious or humanistic um, uh, concepts uh, themes, of course, is a is a different um, matter. I certainly wouldn't read those as as exclusively. Um, uh, religious, although I can completely understand that they have uh, they have religious resonance in in every sense. Um, uh, yes, I mean I think relative to opera, one needs to be one needs to tread fairly carefully, of course, because where an opera comes from, uh, how the opera is designed, it's a very much a collaborative um, uh, process, a collaborative um, uh, activity, um, and that collaboration, of course. Uh, at the principal level is is connects to the librettist and the composer, but there are so many others involved as well, singers and writing for individual singers, how an adaptation works of a particular, well whether it's an adaptation uh, in, in Figaro's case of the Beaumarchais um, play, very controversial from a few years um, earlier, and on Giovanni's case it's the Don Juan legend that goes back uh, at least 150 years, Moliere etc. Um, uh, and and basically, Da Ponte expands that enormously. He's brilliant um, uh, librettist. There's no question about that at all. With Figaro, it's much more about contracting because the play is is. Um, is uh, is is long and very involved. A uh, lot more ca- characters involved in in Figaro in the play that that don't make it into the opera. So it was a more a, a job of, of of making it concise. And Così fan famously is just a kind of a, a combination of all kinds of sort of um, uh, recent, as in 18th century, and earlier kind of uh, mythological almost mythological uh, sources from the Renaissance, etc. So it's a kind of this this combination of um, um, of, of of, 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 of numerous different sources. So I think in regards to how one sees um, uh, uh, operas, I think perfectly entitled to see there being a kind of um, uh, a religious dimension there, although as I say I would I might argue that um, that, that could be represented an enlightened humanistic uh, yeah. one as well. Uh,
0: what are trying to do as a musicologist to Mozart rather than any of the other great composers? Hmm, that's
1: a good question. Um, I mean, first of all, I, as an oboist, I was attracted to mo- pl- to playing Mozart. A couple of uh, um, well-known oboe works, uh, oboe quartet, and the oboe concerto, um, both from his relatively early years. Um, so initial attraction to to Mozart that way. And I think, I think with Mozart, it's always, or for me, it is always kind of just the sheer kind of diversity of what you've got um, there, more than any other composer in the late 18th century, as much as I. Admire so many other composers, particularly Haydn, of course, um, from the late 18th century. The, the thing about Mozart is he—he's he's represented everywhere. So he's—you know—he's a fantastic dramatist, but he's also a fantastic pianist, a fantastic composer of piano concertos, symphonies, string quartets. So you've got—you've got kind of all bases covered. So when you move, um, when you move with Mozart and listen to him in different kind of areas, you know you can hear bits of <laughs> uh, all these kind of ways of thinking about music. Um, uh, and different styles and different genres um, um as you go through as you travel through his uh, his repertory um and and since the quality is so high um you know it's a it's an enriching experience in in, in every way and i don't think there's anybody despite the fact mozart died Um, At only 35, um, uh, which makes it obviously his his achievements (laughs) all the more remarkable. But I don't think there's anybody quite like him in terms of in covering so many bases, so to speak, um, musically. And that's I've always found that attractive um, as well as the great kind of uh, sort of. The, it's, you mentioned Shakespeare earlier, and it's like this kind of Shakespearean sense that he can move on a turn on a dime, as it were, and 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 suddenly you you can go from poignancy, you can go from power to poignancy, to to great emotion, to uh, to reflection, um, and he seems to be able to do that those kind of those pivots so 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 sort of so sort of amazingly that. Um, Uh, that, that, you know, again, that's a very, that's always been something that's extremely attractive to me as well.
0: Bach resorts extensively to counterpoint in his composition, whereas Haydn, Beethoven and Brahms often develop movements or whole compositions out of a motif. Mozart's compositional technique is perhaps harder to pin down. What are the distinctive characteristics of his music? How does his style of composition differ from that of his contemporaries?
1: Um, I think that the perhaps the difference I um, I, I would think actually you know there's the this, this sometimes kind of discussion of how you know the 18th century represents a move from kind of you know these sort of contrapuntal geniuses so to speak like um, like like uh, Bach and 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 Handel particularly. Um, to kind of a a less kind of complex style. I I mean, I'd be wary about that, thinking about things um, uh, that way because both Haydn and and Mozart were, Mozart particularly perhaps, were were extremely skilled as writers of of, of fugues as well. So, you know, the the kind of the highest form of... uh, uh, of, of, of counterpoint. But I think it reflected uh, w- when you're asking that question specifically about Mozart and how he's different. Um, um, I think it goes back to something I was saying earlier about this kind of sense of cosmopolitanness. So um, actually it's it's difficult in many ways to talk about him as a Viennese composer or as a Salzburg-based composer, even sometimes as an Austrian composer in as far as Austria um, uh, existed um, at that time at that time as anything more than a kind of conceptual kind of identity is conceptual identity of what austria was um but um but so it's this kind of sense that because he absorbs so many different styles so many different ways of thinking about music um you know that that kind of comes out in in all sorts of ways in 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 his music um and i mean some people some people kind of pass that kind of Qualitatively, which it's which it's fine. That's fine to do that. Um, uh, you know, you won't find many of us who who will argue um, that Mozart isn't um, uh, qualitatively um, above pretty much everybody else in the in, in the late eighteenth century, possible exception of Haydn. Um, but so, so so. But one that doesn't necessarily need to think about it qualitatively. As, as I say, it can be about how the style kind of transmits itself, how it kind of conveys its qualities to us um in the course of listening to to a work and and i think that it's that kind of sense of uh, of of there being so many aspects to it such you know as i say ability to be both kind of suave and then slightly crude or crass and and poignant and 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 powerful um all within the space of you know minutes as it were that the the, the, the it's this kind of he's got this sort of complete control of his material um uh, and of what it um expresses and what it is seen to represent and when i say that i think that applies equally in instrumental music as it does in um, in vocal music and uh, including opera
0: And four of the five books you've recommended are biographical. Is it essential to know about Mozart's life and context to appreciate his music or merely helpful?
1: That's, again, a very good um, question. Um, I would say, um, I would say actually that it is essential um, that, well, I would find, um, I would think it's essential to to have some biographical understanding, biographical broadly uh, conceived. Um, and you're quite right. The the the, the choices of uh, of my books are uh, predominantly biographical, um, although they're all biographies to some extent. Um, uh, if we count the letters as biography, um, uh, or biography with a difference, as it were. Um, and um, uh, so so I think that that kind of th- that that because as I was saying earlier, he's so immersed in music because music is everywhere for him. Is you know, it, music's in his head the whole time, you know, the classic kind of um, uh, I mean, which is no doubt a simplification, but classic kind of uh, uh, um, uh, kind of d- way of thinking about Mozart is what he said himself, which is that the, the, the work is all, the work is in his head and it isn't actually just written down. so the composing goes on in his head, and the writing down is um uh, is something that happens subsequently. That is a, a a simplification both on Mozart's part clearly and also on the part of many. Uh, biographers but it, it is definitely it's definitely the case because he's living constantly with 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 music totally absorbed in it. Um, uh, you know that, that I think one needs to understand kind of what he's going through, how he's how he's progressing as it were through life um, uh, in order to kind of get a sense uh, uh, of what his music um, uh, may or may not mean. Um, uh, relative to, to to how it's significant or or not in certain instances so so i think i think i think as i say i might be i might be inclined to say what biography is is uh, is, is is the heart of the question um there um and i could see biography um as as much more than simply telling a tale of, of kind of life and and uh, and works um, and that it needs actually inherently needs to be considerably more nuanced and sophisticated. Um, than that. And I think that comes through, in, the, in, in in hopefully, in the choices that I've made in, in terms of books. Um, but I would say that some sort of kind of way of understanding Mozart through his biography is indeed uh, uh, extremely
0: helpful. Yeah. Your first selected book is Emily Anderson's edition of Letters of Mozart and his family. What makes this collection a good read and how does it help us appreciate Mozart's music? I mean, this is
1: Mozart um
0: uh from the
1: horse's mouth, so to speak. I mean, because we've got Mozart um uh talking about I mean, you know, we've got a volume. I've got it right here, big fat volume, 30,000 30, pages or so, in its in its English translation at least. Um the German edition is um is even longer. Um whoops, sorry, I put it back on my shelf.
0: It's a book, tashenb- awesome. as the German <laughs> <have to> says.
1: <laughs> um yeah, it's quite a yes, quite a Uh, quite a doorstop there um yeah so it's um uh, but it you know it's it's Mozart, it's mozart speaking to us directly as it were um and you know that has so much that's so relevant to Everything connected to, I think, his life um, and his music, Um, you know, we've got his views, we've got his views on on aesthetics, we've got his views on instrumental music, we've got practicalities um, uh, uh, of life, we've got issues relating to travel, we've got references to other musicians all of the time, um, emotions, um, his relationships with uh, problematic, wonderful um, uh, uh, powerful, sad, etc. in in every um, in every respect coming through over the course of those um, those thousand pages or so. So he speaks directly to us, and this is what um, I mean. I so my la- last project was uh, I may have mentioned to you um, in, in an email, but was is a big kind of study of Haydn and Mozart reception in the nineteenth century. Um, and so I was looking at a lot of kind of early biographies, and and there's one particularly problematic um, one because it's a uh, um, well, it's, it was done by um, uh, Constanza Mozart's um, second husband, um, Georg von Nissen, um, uh, and it's basically a patchwork quilt of kind of pulling together of various pre- previously published sources. We might talk about it now being kind of plagiarized, although I don't think plagiarism existed in the same way in the early 19th century as it does now, but its major contribution was to publish it got it got enormous trenches of letters, predominantly from Mozart's wife Constanza, because Nissen was married to her, but also from Nanael, um, from Mozart's sister. And it published the letters for the first time. And you get you see in reviews of Nissen in the late uh, um, late 1820s, people just can't you know just can't believe that this is Mozart suddenly speaking to them. Um, and whereas that kind of immediacy of of kind of you know that must have been extraordinary 30 years after Mozart's death yeah you know, we don't have that experience now because the the words and the phraseology and the and the ideas are are, are all ideas that um uh, that have been discussed and dissected and combed over in it with a fine tooth comb so to speak um uh, so so we don't get that kind of sense of them being novel and of that kind of great release of kind of all of these ideas but nonetheless um, because we because we're so familiar with them um, now, 200 years on, but there's still this kind of sense of when you dip into the letters, um, um, you're hearing Mozart think through various issues, various problems. Um, uh, uh, you know, his personality is 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 coming alive uh, for us, and that's even if the translation, in the case of Anderson's translation, which is. Um, uh, uh, Somewhat too elegant really, too too Victorian in a way, makes him sound a little bit like he's from the late 19th century rather than the late 18th, Um, and he wrote in a kind of uh, a dialect, in effect Salzburgian kind of dialect with his father. Um, and not particularly elegantly but the letters are uh, are, are translated in a way that, that that makes them read elegantly which one can say is a little bit problematic but that that doesn't bother me especially um because it's above all the ideas and the and the personality that are coming alive uh through reading them it's just um it's it's fantastic either to read it in in um in in whole um uh, from cover to cover or just to dip into and uh, and at its very best the correspondence between Mozart and his father is just, um, is just wonderful. For example, the opera Domineo, which um, um, uh, which was premiered at the end of January uh, uh, 1781 in Munich, was when Mozart was still based in Salzburg. Um, so Mozart went to Munich. So the, it had been commissioned. He knew it was going to happen. But for the last few months, he went to Munich both to be well, to be able to deal with the singers and 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 discuss the music that they wanted. Um, and there ended up being this this the, the librettist um, uh, Varesco was based in Salzburg. So Leopold um, became the kind of go-between for the ideas that Mozart was sending back to Varesco, and that Varesco was sending uh, uh, via Le, uh, Leopold back to Mozart. So that you could see you can. see, the drama and the music kind of taking shape uh, uh, for both of them, both of them being Mozart and Leopold because Leopold's having his say as well in in terms of what he thinks um, should happen in in, in the Dominaire, both how it should function dramatically um, and also um, uh, what the music should do and you get this wonderful correspondence for for two or three months, uh, end of 1780, beginning of 1781, where it's all about musical ideas and, and about how um, uh, how instruments should function and there are practical issues as well in terms of what's available for Mozart and what isn't. Um, um, and Domineo was a great success, but that in a way is by the by, um, um, that's less important than the fact that, you know, as you see the the, the the genesis of the opera kind of opening up in front of you. Um, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful spectacle um, and a wonderful um, read. And as I say, it's testimony to to at, at their very best and their re- relationship in some ways was quite problematic. Certainly at, at key moments, uh, Leopold and Mozart. But at their very best, um, you know they, they were in, they were just just kind of fantastic musicians um, and great thinkers in regards to 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 the way a musical piece can be constructed.
0: Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview and gain full access to our archive, visit fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes. As little as one dollar, one pound or one euro can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again and God bless.